morning. How is everybody this morning? It's good we have people here today. It's good we can be blessed to be in the house of the Lord. Bear with me this morning as I'm going to probably struggle to talk this morning, but that's all right. God is good. So this morning, we're going to look at Christmas. Now that we're in the Christmas season, and we're all beginning to look at the advent and the coming of Christ, we're going to look at what God had to say, but we're going to look at it through the eyes of the Old Testament. We're going to look at Christmas in the midst of the fires of Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, in the wilderness of Sinai. This morning is kind of beautiful to wake up and to see the morning snow, to see it fresh, to see it upon the trees and the fields. But it's fitting because my introduction this morning was talking about snow. So it's kind of nice that we have it this morning. And about the snow is is the pure white. And upon the backdrop of white, it's very easy to see things. We can see a blade of grass, an individual blade of grass, 50, 100 yards off. Now try to do that when all the grass is green to pick out an individual blade. It's very hard to do. But the contrast, the stark contrast of the pure white against the backdrop of something that is not white is very apparent. It's very easy to see. And that's how it is with our sin against the backdrop of God's holiness. It's very readily seen. It's easy to pick out. It's not hidden. It's not lost. But it's visible for all to see. And it's easy to see from afar off. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is the backdrop of God's holiness. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the snow. That it reminds us, as Mark spoke this morning, that our sins have been washed white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you that you have set your standard, that you have given us your holiness as a standard. And that you have given us a way through Christ to meet that standard. Father, we thank you that you did not lower it. We thank you that you fulfilled it. And we just ask that you will be with us this morning. That you will guide my lips and my heart. And that you will give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at Christmas. But like I said, we're going to look at Mount Sinai. That's not typically a passage maybe we would go to when we think of the Christmas season. But this is where my heart was focused this last week. And I think it's a great place to start. So first we're going to look at the standard. God declared a standard that man was to meet. And without a standard, why would we need Christmas? Without a standard, why would we need to meet anything? But God set that standard and he declared it boldly. He declared it forthcomingly, not just today, but thousands of years ago, back before they had the finished or even completed Word of God, back in Moses' time when it was not yet written. And yet God declared his standard. God said, and we're going to use a passage out of 1 Peter 1.16, God says, because it has been written, this being in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, be holy because I am holy. Now, the standard, what is it? God, be holy because I am holy. To be blameless, to be perfect, to be without sin. That is the standard that God has set. And God has not lowered that standard. Christ echoed this 
Christ declared it. So we have God the Father that declared it. Now Christ declared it. Matthew 5.48, what did he say? He said, therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Once again, we see the picture of perfection, the picture of holiness, the picture of purity, like the snow, without blemish, without stain. That is the standard that was set. And now we see that the Holy Spirit also echoes this through the writer of Hebrews. In chapter 12, verse 14, we have a command here. And he says, eagerly pursue peace and holiness with all, without which no one will see the Lord. So we have here a command. We have God the Father that declares his standard. Jesus echoes that standard. The Holy Spirit reiterates it as a command to us that we are to pursue not only peace, but holiness. Holiness in our lives. Holiness with those around us. Because it says pursue peace and holiness with all. Meaning all men in all your conduct and everything that you do. So our standard is set. But the New Testament talks about three different types of holiness. And we're going to kind of look at those really quickly to kind of set the context of what we're looking at. First one, there is positional holiness. This is nothing that we can work for. This is nothing that we can strive to or even obtain outside of Christ and Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says that our positional holiness is gained in our justification through Christ. And it says this, and some of these were uh, these things, but you, you were washed, but you were also sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Our positional holiness is not conditional on us. It was conditional on Christ. It was conditional on him meeting and fulfilling the commands of God to live a perfect, sinless life, white as the snow that is outside. That is what Christ did. So that's not what we're talking about here in Hebrews. We're not talking about positional holiness. We're also not talking about perfect or complete holiness that we find. That will be at our rapture, at our home going, when we will come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we will be made perfect and new, shedding the tent of our flesh. This is just a temporary shelter. We pick it up and we move on. We're like wandering nomads waiting to get to our homeland. First Thessalonians, I'm sorry, Oop, going back down. So we cannot obtain this in this life, but only when we finally stand face to face with our beloved Savior. So Hebrews is not talking about positional holiness, and it's also not talking about the perfection of holiness being made perfect yet. It's talking about our third one, practical holiness, the means of our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 2 says this, For the rest then, brothers, we beg you and we exhort you in the Lord Jesus, even as you have received from us how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God, that you abound more. For you know what injunctions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, Paul is speaking that we know the commands that God gave us through the authority of Christ. To be holy as he is holy. To be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. This is our practical holiness. This is how salvation is played out. We are to seek to grow in holiness day by day. Every day we are to separate ourselves from everyday life, from the practical sins that we commit, and set our, be set apart through the Holy Spirit for the works of Christ. We are always to be constantly cultivating a separation from this world for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is the backdrop. This is the standard that God has set. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in communion on this. They're in unity. They have each spoken it. So now we're going to go into the book of Exodus. 
Turn with me to chapter 24, please. We're going to start in chapter 24. We're going to bounce around in Exodus just a little bit because we're going to look at what is the picture that God has given us. So we're going to glimpse the standard now. We're going to see a small glimpse of the standard. And we already said the standard is what? God's holiness. So we're going to look at that this morning. If you turn in Exodus chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 16 and read 17 as well. And it says this, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of this cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. So now we have a picture here. We have a cloud covering the mountain. And in the midst of that cloud, we have a consuming fire. And it's interesting the word that he used, consuming. It means constantly going, does not go out, it does not diminish. And yet, was there anything there that was being consumed? No. God wasn't feeding off of something. God's holiness is a consuming fire. And it's interesting here that God chose to reveal himself this way. If you turn back a couple chapters to Exodus 19, we're going to see this glimpse a little bit more. Starting in verse 16. Exodus 19. Starting in verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. And when the trumpet and when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. So we see that God has now revealed himself in a very practical and physical way to the sons of Israel. Smoke, fire, sounds of thunder and lightning flashes. God spoke and it sounded like thunder. The mountain quaked. Why? Oh, because. Even sin has tainted creation. It quakes in the presence of God. It trembles with fear. And Israel felt this fear. It was very real to them. The all-consuming holiness of God produced before them in a physical and visible attribute of the consuming fire of God was before them and they shook with fear. They trembled in terror. And rightfully so. God reveals himself to Israel. What they see and experience here in, in, is also what the author of Hebrews says. In ver, uh, chapter 12 and 29, he says, Our God is a consuming fire. We must not forget the attributes of God's holiness, for that is our standard. So the glorious covering of fire and cloud, the voice as a thunder, this was God looking down upon man. And if man was to look directly at God, he would what? He would perish. He would die. Man cannot look upon the holiness of God and live. So God covers himself with fire and with smoke. And this is how he reveals and manifests himself to the children of Israel. How else has he done this? He's done it as in an angel or the appearance of a man. More importantly, the son of man. But this is how God has chosen to reveal his perfect holiness to Israel. He also gave them the visibility that Israel did not meet this standard. That's why they were filled with terror. 
So God cloaked himself with fire and with cloud. And there's pillars of smoke rising like a furnace, it says. There is terror in the meeting with God when it is based on law keeping. And that is what Israel is faced with. Right here after this short stint in Exodus 19, we get Exodus 20, which we all know is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Israel was meeting with God based on the law, and it was terrifying because they knew they could not satisfy the law of God. And yet God says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because when we fear God rightly as we should, we revere him, we respect him, we put God in his place as holy, as high above all else, then we see God for who he is and we see ourselves in that light. And that sheds the light of, I'm a sinful man. I'm created in the image of God and yet I'm fallen. And I need a savior. I'm in desperate need of a savior. This is what God is doing. Again, in speaking of the Advent season, we also must picture Christ correctly. He's not the helpless babe in the manger. Scripture tells us at his second advent that we are so eagerly awaiting that he's going to come as a warrior king with his robes dipped in blood. That he's righteous and true. That his eyes are like a flaming fire. And that his face will shine like the sun in its complete strength. That is who our God is. He's a consuming fire. He's beautiful. He's mighty. He's glorious. This is our Christ. This is our Christmas in the mist of the fires of Sinai. So we're going to look at what happens when Israel is met with the holiness of God and met with the consuming fire. Our third point this morning is the terror-filled request. Israel makes a request. Flip over one chapter to chapter 20. So Moses has just given the Ten Commandments by God. God has written it down for him, and he has given it to the people of Israel. They have now been in the presence of God, quaking with fear, At the foot of the mountain, they could not trespass upon the mountain or they would be met with death, them or their cattle or their livestock or any animal because the mountain was holy because God's presence was there. So we see here in Exodus chapter 20, after the giving of this, we see Israel's response starting in verse 18. All the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. And then they said to Moses, speak to us for yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Then Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you. Why? In order that you may have the fear of him remain with you so that you may not sin. So there is a a purpose and a point that God had in revealing himself as a consuming fire. Israel, in the midst of her terror, and in the midst of her trembling before a glorious God, shows a small bit of wisdom. In Deuteronomy 18.17, God says of this exact moment, that Jehovah said to me, they have spoken well what they have said. And what did they say? They asked for a mediator. They asked for somebody to stand in the gap between them and the holiness of God. They have asked Moses, you speak to us of what God is saying and we will listen, but let not God speak to us because we will die. They realized that in the holiness of God that they could not endure it. They could not face it. They could not stand there in God's presence and live. They knew that they needed someone to stand in that gap for them. And they requested this of Moses. 
And it's interesting that God used Moses in this way, to be a mediator between himself and the children of Israel. It is a foreshadowing of the great mediator who is yet to come. So in the presence of God and of his holiness, we see two things, that our condition is exposed. We are exposed in the purity and the light of God's holiness. And then the law exposed their hearts as sinful. But it also exposed their need. They could not meet this command. They could not meet the moral law of God. They could not live righteously. They could not sacrifice enough. God put them to the test. God put them in the test in order that they might fear him rightly. What does the book of James say? That that even the devil and his angels believe and they tremble in the presence of God, at his name. Do we fear God correctly? Do we have that fear of God in our hearts and in our minds that we bow before him? But God put them to the test. Why? He says, in order that they would not sin. To keep them back, to hold them back from the sinfulness of their hearts, from the pride of their lives, from seeking other gods in the land that God was about to give to them. All this was to show them their need for a mediator, their need for Christ. God went on from this point here to describe for them the author and how they were to approach him with sacrifice, with purity, with morality. God describes in the latter part of chapter 20 where we're at, how they were to come up to the altar, to be completely covered, to have long robes to cover their nakedness in order that they might be pure and blameless before God. Christ is our altar. But more importantly, God says that they were to approach him with what? With shed blood. There was always a need for shed blood. They had to approach him on his terms. So Christ became our altar, our way to approach our God. He also has become our holiness through his shed blood, through the washing of our sins away to make us white as snow. He is our mediator who through his life and his death fulfilled the law of God and all the requirements that sin required. He purchased and redeemed a people for himself. He removed us from God's terror because we are now justified through his blood. We do not need to quake in the fear that Israel had and the terror of being slain by God because Christ has now fulfilled the requirements of the law. Christ has now come and given us his holiness. He has justified us. That positional holiness that we talked about, that's where we are at as Christians because of Christ. Christ is our mediator. The standard was not lowered. The standard was completed. It was met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take this picture of the fire of Sinai, the holiness of God, and we're going to tie it in now with Christmas. And we're going to do that through a passage in Deuteronomy that actually talks of this exact moment of what was going on here in the hearts and the lives of Israel and of what became of their request. When they requested, give us a mediator, give us one to stand in a gap between you and us. If you turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy is a beautiful book. Yes, there's a lot of the law in there, but it's a beautiful book of Israel's life, of the passing through the difficulties and the challenges that they would face, but it's also a beautiful picture of how we are to live before our God in our families, in our communities, in everyday life, in the trials that we face. It's a lot of practical wisdom in this book. 
So our fourth point is we're going to see the promise of Christmas. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now Deuteronomy 18 is talking about the Levitical priests. It's talking about what portion they are to have in the land. But then it gets into God starts reprimanding Israel and telling them, you shall not be like the nations who practice witchcraft and sorcery and idolatry and all of this. There's a big mess of stuff that Israel was to avoid. And in that, God said, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, how are they to do this? We're going to get into it. Verse 15. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses speaking. And from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. For this is according to all that you would ask the Lord, your God, in Horeb, on the day of the assembly. So here we are. We're tying back into Sinai. We're tying back into that experience of them being in the presence of a consuming fire. He says this. On that day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, and let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will will require it of him. That's a great spot to take heed. If you do not listen, I myself will require it. So the promise of Christmas. Out of the fires of Sinai and Mount Horeb, we see the promise of Christmas given. Because God here says, I will give you. So what they asked for in their terror, which was actually wisdom. It's interesting that terror drove them to wisdom. It's interesting. Just a little tidbit that I kind of chuckled on is in their terror, they showed wisdom. They asked, God, remove yourself from us. Remove your presence of holiness that terrorizes us, makes us fear and quake and tremble. Give us a mediator. Give us something between us and you so that we may live. And God does this. So what do we see? God gives promises here, a promised of a coming Messiah. But we're going to look at eight specific things that God promises here in verses 15 and 19. First off, God said, I will give you a prophet. Right? Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So, we see in John 6, 14, then seeing what miracles Jesus did, the men said, this is truly the prophet, the one coming into the world. John 7, verse 40, Then hearing the word, many of the crowd said, This truly is the prophet. Israel knew they were waiting for a prophet of God who would be the coming Messiah, who would speak to them the truth of God's word, who would bring them about repentance, who would bring about an understanding of who God was. Secondly, God goes on to say, not only a prophet, but from among your countrymen. So he was to be in their midst somebody truly human. Christ fulfilled that. He was fully God and yet fully man. Matthew 1.18, as Todd read this morning, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was this way. For his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was discovered to be pregnant in the womb by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 1-17, prior to that, lists the genealogy, the physical genealogy of Jesus Christ. He was fully man and yet fully God. This was the coming prophet who was called out from their midst. Thirdly, he was to be of their countrymen. He was to be an Israelite. 
We just discussed that. Specifically, and yet unknown, he used to be of David's lineage, the lineage of kings. Kings were not, obviously, there at this time in Israel's history, and yet it was coming. And yet there was much to be said about how the, how the Messiah would come out of David's line. Because God promised David what? That he would have a king who would reign on his throne forever. And that is Jesus Christ. Fourthly, God promised that he would be raised up by God as Moses was. Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, this is in the midst of Peter giving his second sermon during Pentecost. And what does he do? He goes back to this moment and he repeats it and he says, For Moses indeed said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from among your brothers, one like me. You shall hear him according to all things, whatever he may speak to you. And it shall be that every soul, whoever should not hear the prophet, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Peter is tying in the mediator, Moses, with the mediator of Christ. That he was a prophet. That he fulfilled the words of Moses. That God would raise up a prophet. One who was human. One who was an Israelite. One who was the coming promised Messiah. That he would bring him here. Where, was, where did Moses first meet God? Do you guys remember? Mount Horeb, right? Sinai, the mountain of God. In an all-consuming fire, yet the bush didn't burn up. Kind of interesting. I've never seen a fire where something didn't burn up, but I bet it's pretty cool. But in the same way, out of the fires of Horeb comes the promise of Christ. Comes the promise of one who would deliver Israel from her sin. As Moses, out of the fire of the burning bush, was promised to be the deliverer of Israel from Egypt, from the captivity of slavery. So we have the slavery to Egypt, but we also have the slavery to sin. They all meet out of one who is called out of the fires of Horeb. Fifthly, he was promised fullness of inspiration and authority. God would put his words in his mouth. God would give him the words to speak. Turn over to Colossians with me, if you would, please. In Colossians, we see the beauty of the authority of Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, says this, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And then in chapter 1, verse 15 to 20, says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is head, also head of the church, and he is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the, all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on heaven or things on earth. He was given full authority as a son of God, and full inspiration. When he spoke, it was the word of God. Six, he was also to give full revelation of who the God the Father was. In John chapter 14, we know the beautiful section where Jesus starts to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Let's continue with that. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then here comes our doubt. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father, and it will be enough for us. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says to him, Am I so long a time with you, and you have not known me, Philip? For the one seeing me has seen the Father. How do you say to me, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words which I speak to you, I do not speak from myself, but the Father who abides in me, he does the works. Christ was the full revelation of God to us. He showed us who the Father was. In terms that we could understand, he came as a human. He came as a man. He dwelt among us. Now think about that. Looking at the mountain of Horeb and the consuming fire of God's holiness, and yet in that, in some miraculous way, he could come and exist among sinful man. We know that God cannot abide by sin or in the presence of sin, and yet Christ came as a man, fully human, to love, to teach, and to reveal the Father to each and every one of us in a way that we could understand. Seventh thing that God promised, that all are accountable to listen and to obey. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes the one who has sent me has everlasting life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Let's contrast that with the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and to the judgments which I am teaching you to do, so that you may live and go in and possess the land which Jehovah your God, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor shall you take from it, to keep the commandments of Jehovah your God, which I command you. Israel was to keep the law, the whole law. And they were to keep it with what? Obedience? Faith. They believed, as we do, by faith. Because they knew from that moment when they met God at the mountain that they could never satisfy the requirements of God's holiness. That is why they were terrified. That is why they were utterly terrified of God's presence. And yet God sending a mediator through Moses gave them access to God. God's presence dwelt physically among them above the mercy seat that was yet to be made. And then in the person of Jesus Christ, God revealed himself further. And God gave us the ultimate mediator. But we are accountable to listen. Why? Because we are called to practical holiness. Each and every day of our lives, we are called to practical holiness. To continue to grow in sanctification. To continue to grow in our love for Christ, in the love for His Word, in love for one another, to follow the example of Christ and to love one another well, to spread the truth of the gospel to all nations and all people, without what? Without changing what God says. We do not bend or yield to the world because it doesn't fit what God says. We speak the truth of God's Word, and the world must bend and yield to Christ. This is very... uh, circumspect. It's very uh, familiar to us. In Revelation 22, Jesus says the same thing. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And the one hearing, let him say, come. And the one who thirsts, let him come. And the one desiring, let him take of the water of life freely. 
For I testify together with everyone hearing the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add upon him the plagues having been written in this book. We have a requirement to not change the word of God. Jesus spoke with authority the very words of God. We must listen to it, we must heed it, and we must not change it. And lastly, he promised a mediator. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says this, For God is one. Also, there is one mediator of God and of man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus showed this example in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He prayed for his disciples that they would not be lost, that God would keep them in his name. But he also prayed for others. Pray for all those who would believe. Jesus is our intercessor. Hebrews chapter 3, I'd encourage you guys to look there. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we're talking about, the author of Hebrews is talking about Christ being a mediator better than Moses because he holds his position forever. He acts as our mediator between us and God, the Father. So what are we doing with Christ? What are you and I doing with who God is? What and who are we worshiping this Christmas season? Are we celebrating in Advent truth? May it not just be a babe in a manger, but may it be the coming king who is an all-consuming fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that was poured out poured out through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that as your, as your standard is perfect and as we could never meet it, that you provided a way through the Lord Jesus Christ that we may come to you and that we may not be consumed by that all-consuming fire of your holiness. We thank you that you have given us a way to approach you, that you have given us one to speak your words and your truth that we may know who you are, Father, may we not deviate from that. May we not deviate from the truth. May we faithfully stand upon the word of God. May it change us. May it mold our hearts and our minds. May we be faithful to teach it to our children. May we be faithful to teach it to those around us. May we be faithful to preach the Christ of Christmas. Father, we thank you that you have provided a way. And Lord, we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.